we take up again, and this is actually uh, a continuation of the lecture started before. I am giving you some of A.E. Dickinson's uh, lecture, and uh, in case uh, anyone were to say or think that what I'm doing is not a worthy task, uh, why should we be having lectures on these things? I would ask you to go back and ask these gentlemen, <laughs> because for the most part, I'm simply delivering to you their lectures. They saw it important. They saw it to be vital enough to do, and uh, their posterity recorded their lectures, and so I offer as if, if there were no other, I would offer for my defense uh, the testimony of these gentlemen, uh, in all of those who, whose writings have been contributed to this book, Baptist Principles Reset, originally a set of lectures by Jeremiah Bell Jeter, but now we are looking at another different lecture by Dickinson on the subject, what Baptist principles are worth to the world. And that has been the subject. We've taken up some portions of his lecture. And we take that back up today by giving you the fact he, he makes the point, and, and I think this is a point that I have already stated, I think, over and over again, but I, I, I will not fail to continue to emphasize this point. Uh, that is that our distinctives are both peculiar to us and provoking to others. <laughs> they are peculiar to us. That is the whole point. That's the title of this series, Baptist Distinctives. Uh, I shared with you in the very first lecture, and I've mentioned it again a time or two, there are doctrines which we, of course, gladly share with all those that are come under that umbrella known as evangelical. <clears throat> there are doctrines and things that we hold in common and share. <clears throat> but then there are those things which we are going to study <clears throat> that are distinctives. Now, these distinctives, according to Dickinson, are not only peculiar to us, but they are provoking to others. On page 264, if you have this book, at the, toward the bottom of that page, he says, however, our brethren of other, however, our brethren of other persuasions may differ among themselves, they are solidly one in opposing Baptist principles. And hence it is manifest that there is something peculiar as well as provoking in our position and principles. Next page he says, we simply stand by the old rules, as old as the New Testament. If others come in with new rules upon them, upon them, must rest the responsibility which comes with warring sects. 
from the peace which is bought at the expense of truth, may the good Lord deliver us. Hallelujah. He is making the statement that our principles cause us to differ. And among those who differ with us, they may differ among themselves on many things, but they are solidly one. They have solidarity in this one thing, and that is their opposition to Baptist. And he gives as a reason for that the fact that we just simply stand by the old rules which he defines as the New Testament. And he says, if anyone comes along with other rules not found there, let the fault for our warring factions rest on their heads, not on ours. But then for those who say, but don't you want to be at peace with all these people? He said, from the, from the peace which is bought at expense of truth, may the good Lord deliver us. Amen. Not interested in a peace that requires me to sacrifice the truth of God. One particle of truth, he says, in God's sight is more precious than all the earth's glittering treasures. Union in the truth is the only union worth the name. If the noble army of Baptist martyrs who joyfully welcomed all the ills that earth could inflict rather than abandon their advocacy of Baptist views were not greatly deceived, there is something wrapped up in this Baptist idea that is of priceless value. And he says, if that's not if that's not so, then look to the testimony of all those Baptist martyrs, and you will find that there is in these principles something worth dying for. So you understand from comments like that, and I've I've read you others that what we're undertaking to study is no trivial matter. It's not a matter of mere academics. It's not a matter of just filling space or filling time or having some study to undertake. This is life and death serious and many have died for it. <clears throat> Later on, as I've mentioned to you before, I'm going to ask Brother John to share with us somewhat of the history, some brief segment, just a, a window of, of the history of those who have paid with their blood for these Baptist distinctives. Not for salvation as a general, but Baptist distinctives. <clears throat> now he makes a point later in this lecture, <clears throat> and I have made it, but I will do it, make it again. That what we're, what we would die for, what we would die for is not, as some of our enemies say about us, it, we are not willing to die over simply the mode of baptism, how it is performed. That is not, says, says Dickinson, 
the main point of separation between us. He says, we count as the small dust in the balance, page 269. We count as the small dust in the balance any question of much water or little water. Whether a goblet or a gulf would make little difference to a Baptist who understands that the ground of separation lies much deeper than that. There are great differences between Baptists and all other non, uh, uh, denominations apart from the ordinances. We differ as to the first principles. They have one idea of the constitution of the Christian church and we have a different, very different idea. Our debate, we're not prepared to die over the mode of baptism. We're prepared to die over the question of who is a candidate for it. So the question is far deeper than the mode. Some Baptists historically, and I don't know, they may be now, I don't know, go out into water and then pour it over the person being baptized. We're not gonna, we're not gonna die fighting over that. But we will go to the stake over the question of who is a proper recipient for baptism. The principles are much deeper. Now, there are two, on page 270, he says there are two principal components of Baptist distinctives. Here they are. In holding to immersion in water is essential to the act of baptism. The Baptists have saved to the world one of the only two great symbolic ordinances instituted by the head of the church. The other they may have kept just where the New Testament placed it. We have also made prominent principle of unquestioned obedience to the word of God, placing it not only above, but infinitely above all questions of custom or conscience, all decisions of ecclesiastical courts or councils, so that these latter are not thoughts uh, thought of as having any authority whatsoever. So there are two principal things he mentions here that are components of the Baptist distinctives. That is our maintaining of the ordinances as we believe they are prescribed in the New Testament. And secondly, our holding the word of God supreme above everything. It's above councils of churches, ecclesiastical courts, uh, traditions, customs. All It's above everything else. The word of God is supreme above everything else. Those, that's, that's, that's the two principal components Dickinson sees as being distinctive for Baptist. Baptism, on page 274, is defined by, as defined by Baptists. Baptism, as defined 
by Baptists prevents the unholy union of church and state. Says Dickinson, infant baptism is the egg out of which all this confusion and perversion of God's truth is hatched. <laughs> infant baptism is the egg from which confusion and perversion is hatched. It removes and abolishes the line of separation which God designed should ever stand between the church and the world. And it paves the way for a union of church and state. Infant baptism paves the way for the union of church and state. And of this adulterous union, a numerous progeny is born. And he lists some. Persecution, lighting its lurid fires through the dark centuries. The church hunting rather than comforting, multiplying rather than dividing the sorrows of humanity. Killing when it ought to have been saving. And whence came all of this? It grew, as all the world knows, through, uh, uh, though, though all the world may not acknowledge it, he says, all this grew out of this union of the church and the state against which Baptists have always and everywhere protested. They stand today as they have ever stood. The natural enemies of every principle which would enslave the soul. Now that's a profound statement. That is a pregnant statement. Baptists stand today as they ever have. The natural enemies of every principle that would enslave the soul. And infant baptism supremely is a principle that enslaves the soul. Decision is made for you before you ever have any capacity for decision making. And then persecution is born out of that. We believe, therefore, in religious liberty. And again, that's something I'm going to have Brother John bring us a, a brief lesson on at some point. Uh, the relationship between, uh, or rather the, the involvement in, of Baptists in this matter of liberty, re, uh, religious liberty, civil liberty. And Luke was reading to us about that from the reading he gave us today was touching on that matter. So our form of church uh, government, uh, uh, Baptist principles, Baptist principles are uh, inextricably linked with liberty, religious liberty. He says, uh, Dickinson says, Baptists did not stumble upon religious liberty. It is no mere accident that wherever Baptist views have prevailed, 
and to the extent to which they have prevailed. Men have been left to worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience with none to molest or to make them afraid. Soul freedom as surely comes with the adoption of Baptist principles as day comes with the rising sun. It is the inevitable, logical outgrowth of the doctrine that each must hear for himself, repent for himself, believe for himself, confess Christ for himself, and be baptized for himself. It is the inevitable logical outcome of these doctrines that as we come one by one into the world, so we must go to Christ one by one for mercy and at last go one by one out of the world to be judged according to the deeds done in the body. The doctrine of regenerated church membership with its basis in the written word like the light of the sun, goes everywhere and everywhere opens the way for the highest civil and religious liberty. So he certainly ties inextricably our Baptist doctrine to religious and civil liberty. And that can be well and easily demonstrated by men like Brother Gormley, historians like my wife. Our form of church government, he goes on to say, our form of church government, now he's talking about the form of our church government, is of what he calls unspeakable value to the world. That's a quote. Our form of church government is of unspeakable value to the world. Page 275, he says, if it be the true theory of the republic that community is gov that a community is governed best, which is governed least. <laughs> That's a good principle, isn't it? If it be the true theory of a republic that that community is governed best which is governed least, then it is a truth which finds striking exemplif uh, exemplification in our simple but effective church polity. The way we govern our churches, and I'm putting everything he said there and in that whole section into my words. Everything, the way we govern ourselves as Baptists is an ideal model for any government to follow. The principles by which we govern our churches. Well, these principles of ours have an effect on pedo-baptists. <laughs> he says on the top of page 277, 
In estimating the value of Baptist principles, we must not fail to take into account their influence upon other Christian denominations. How they hold back Paedobaptists from the ruinous extremes to which they would inevitably go, but for such restraining power as the Baptists have on them. Nothing hinders the baptism and church membership of every infant except Baptists. <laughs> yeah. Nothing hinders the baptism of every infant in a, any land if their policy rules. Nothing would hinder them from baptizing every infant born except Baptists. But for them, every babe would as surely come into the church as it comes into the world. If it were not for Baptists. Wherever Baptists are found, their infant baptism goes unchallenged among Protestants and Roman Catholics and is universally practiced. You have only to turn your eyes to Europe, Mexico, and South America to see what sad work it is done when it is left to do its worst. I thought about that. You know, every preeminently Roman Catholic country where it is actually practiced, not just nominal, is a sad example of what happens with the prevailing of infant baptism. Every soul that comes into the world is brought into the church. And the effects of that are visible and it's very profound. That right, he says, talking about infant baptism, that right, as our friends call it, carries with it dead formalism which as surely as an effect follows its cause, works evil and only evil, and that continually. The reason it does not work out such results in this country is to be found in the prevalence of opposing influences. Baptists here keep pedo-baptist errors from running to seed. Boy, what a statement. That's a... That's about as bold as some of the statements Luke was reading us of this dear man before he died. Baptists here keep pedo-baptist errors from running to seed. Or to change the figure, we put down the brakes and hold the pedo-baptist car from the frightful precipice over which it would plunge if it were left to itself. Now that's strong language. That's very strong language. But we very much believe it. If we are in fact Baptists. I conclude in his words this lecture on what Baptist principles are worth to the world. I conclude in his words on page 283. If Baptists could have been overthrown, it would have been a long time ago. 
If Baptists could have been overthrown, it would have been a long time ago. Almost every weapon has been tried against them. And with what result? Since our Lord bade us go into all the world and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, there has never dawned a day when the prospect for the Baptist was brighter than it is in this day. And the morrow will be for them brighter still. These principles of ours are yet to be laurel crowned. To use the words of a celebrated Baptist martyr, divine truth is immortal. It may be scourged, crucified, and for a season entombed, but on the third day it will rise again victorious and rule triumphant forever. Divine truth. That Baptist martyr did not overstate the great fact. For back of these Baptist principles, behind these Baptist principles, is the Almighty Throne. And it is pledged to their complete triumph. If there were not, if there were but one Baptist on the earth, he might throw his banner to the breeze with a full and unquestioning faith that it will surely completely win in the great coming struggle. <laughs> he said if there wasn't but one Baptist left on the planet, he could hang his flag out and declare his principles unashamed with every confidence that in the end they will win. Wow. That's a confidence right there. And it's true because of what I read to you earlier. It's because it's based on the word of God only. What we hold is what God said. And what God says cannot fail. It will win in the end. Amen. A lot of bold statements there in that lecture. A lot of very profound and bold statements. But these were, unlike our generation, these were men of conviction. Men of conviction. They didn't hold to anything by halves. They were ready to go to the stake for their convictions. They were bold in them. May God help us. Any comments or questions before we close that day? Yeah, unity without verity. Yeah. Unity without verity. Yeah.
argument that that is because their web's name and they have been tailored practice for a long time. Right. They have been politically and illicitly baptizing into the church of all unbelievers. Right. Right. That's right. Practicing, practicing baptism of unbelievers while professing to be Baptist. All right. Uh, I started on page 264. Remind us of the wonderful simplicity of the old religion. That man must for himself. Yeah, yeah, for himself. Right. Right. Simplicity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a wonderful simplicity. Absolutely. And simplicity has been a mark of Baptist throughout Baptist history. Not only simplicity of doctrine, see someone, but simplicity of practice. Uh, there were, you know, Baptists forever for a very long time through history wouldn't allow stained glass in their buildings. Uh, they wouldn't allow any form of ornamentation to the structure itself. Simplicity was the key note word the Baptists in their doctrine and in their practice. You just say it perhaps parallel thought to that though even as he and others are writing their words, uh-huh. the words that are true, in the main they are, that 
seeds of our own destruction and baptism will be sown even at that time. Yes. Because of a rejection from not not ecclesiology so much as more foundational doctrine. Arminianism had had worked its way certainly by that time well into the north. And it had succumbed to Arminianism, if not outright Unitarianism, yeah. among Baptist ranks. And it it was growing silently even in the South at this time. So it is no wonder that as Luke says We've come to a point now where we have fatal Baptist Baptists because generations because we have thrown aside doctrinal fidelity right and, and made our under, understanding of what what constitutes this work of salvation which is necessary and prerequisite to baptism. Baptism, we so confused and muddled and destroyed the foundation there that it makes sense for us to baptize anything that's living and breathing. Yeah. <laughs> Alfred, I don't know the exact, I've never been able to find the exact date of this particular lecture, but he died in 1906, and it was sometime toward the end of his life that this message was brought. So it was right around the 1900s, the turn of the century. Is the time period that you're talking about. Alfred Elijah Dickens. And thus I think is the importance of us as a church studying these things and looking at these things. Not just assuming them among ourselves, but that we be clear that we all are, are instructed in these matters.